Welcome to the Greg Bennett Show presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and I have just finished a really insightful conversation with one of the world's all-time leading strength coaches, Matt Pendola. And Matt really gives us some great information in this one, and he goes into a lot of depth about run form and strength training and when to use strength and what kind of strength we should be doing. We talk about the fascial system and all sorts of things in between. Um, You can also go find Matt on any question where his answers on any question simply are blowing me away. And I do mention that in this episode, just how I often go to Matt Pendola on any question. So it's anyquestion.com forward slash Pendola project. So that's anyquestion.com forward slash Pendola project. And you can go check out all of Matt's answers. If you haven't checked out any question, you, you get a free hour to go search any of this content. And I think you'll find the answers that Matt provides are really going to help your strength training, your mobility, and everything else in between. So go check that out. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right, today I'm joined by one of the greatest strength and conditioning coaches for endurance athletes in the world. He's been in this field for over 20 years and he's worked with beginners to the world's greatest elite athletes, including Olympic and world champion medalists, Kevin McDowell and and Ben Canute, just to name a few. And he has a list of credentials in the areas of run coaching, strength training, wellness, massage, and everything else in between. And he truly is just one of the world's leading bodywork and movement experts. His, his content on any question platform is just simply brilliant. I'm often going and checking it out and I've learned so much from him. So please go check it out. It, it, we are going to talk about this in the episode a little bit, but it really is an honor and privilege to just have him join me today. So welcome and thank you for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show. Matthew Pendola, how are you, mate? I'm great, Greg. Thanks for having me. And right off the bat, I'm going to say with that introduction, my imposter syndrome is really kicking in. But thank you for that. Not at all, mate. And I got to tell you, you know, I've got to know you know, all the great experts. Well, I haven't got to know them all, but I've gone through so much content on the Any Question platform. And yours is a page that I often come back to and just go, okay, what do I, what would Matt suggest? That's almost where I'm at now, where it's like, okay, what would Matt say? And even you, you answered one of my questions, which was about mobility in, in your fifties and the way you described it, you know, Greg, well, I don't think you even mentioned my name, but you said, you know, you need to be assessing yourself and start with the ankle and move all the way up. I got to tell you, I've been doing that now for quite a while and it's been so wonderful. So I'm excited, so excited to have you here to be able to have this conversation with you. Thank you, Greg. And I mean, really, wow. I just, I didn't even know if you were uh, checking answers or, or reviewing any of my answers, <laughs> but honestly, that just makes me smile. And I didn't, I remember we had talked about this, you and I, at one point about how it's great when you address one person in any question and say, mm-hmm. hey, Greg, this is what you can do for your mobility. But I tended to go more towards talking to everybody because I know it's such a big issue. And I think also such a big misunderstanding. And um, I know we'll talk about this more today, but with mobility, I think it's just such a misunderstood area. You know, your ability to move a joint through a range of motion and have that strength and stability, it's oftentimes, I think, just complex to people where really it's if you follow the joint by joint theory where you want to have a mobile ankle, you want to have a stable knee, Mm. it's not as complex as I think it's made out to be. And just with a few simple protocols to test and retest and just to see where you're at, that is what I love to share with people because now you have the tools, you have the power to do something about it. And uh, of course, that's what we put together with our Runform product uh, with Bobby McGee. But I, I know that's um, something we'll talk about a little bit more in this podcast today. But um, yeah. you know, again, I love that you that you uh, reviewed such an important topic for people. <laughs> no, it's an awesome. One. So uh, I want to touch on that a little bit more. The um, just so listeners have an understanding, you know, my lack of ac- ankle mobility is unbelievable, right? It's like, <laughs> and and so I've been using your assessment where you basically, you go up to a wall and, and you, you, put, you get on one knee and then you try and get your other knee to the wall and, and you have to keep moving your foot, you know, further and further out as you improve. But for me, it was almost like my toes were on the wall, <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> I, I couldn't move my foot out and I've been slowly trying to progress that over time and, and doing the um, exercises that you've recommended. And I just think, and there was another answer that I really loved of yours um, and it wasn't one that I asked, but it was somebody sort of said, you know, what's a great strength program for senior citizens? And, 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 and you had a quote and it was movement is medicine. And I loved that that it was basically the idea of, you know, something is better than nothing. Get out there and just keep moving every single day. Yes, yes. And well, there's so many things that I can talk about here. So, yeah. but I'll, I'll try to stay on topic is that I, on one side of things, as an athlete myself, I was always trying to push myself to that next level. And really, I didn't realize as a younger athlete that I just spent a little bit of time working on restoring some of my capacities, mm. that was really going to help for mm. my performance and for more of my longevity in the, in the future. And that, that durability, that longevity, that's something that I wish I could go back in time and express that to my younger self, how important those things um, are for, for all of us, really. And then I jumped forward to the 81 year old client that I still train today. And, and he all the time, his name is Les and Les says all the time, Hey, you know, Matt, I know, I know you've got important athletes to train. Right. And I, I say this with all sincerity to him is Les, you are the most important athlete to me right here, right now. But honestly, over the last 20 years, I've been working with him since wow. he was yeah, when he turned 60, actually, so 21 years now. And, you know, he is at this point like a father to me, but really, I have learned so much mm. from working with this guy, Greg, mm. and testing and retesting, like you said before, you know, how do I know that these things work? Well, we have done assessments. We have seen what really works over the long term for somebody like Les. Now, he just went out and did a 20-mile hike wow. with a 40-pound pack. Wow. He's 81 years old and no pain, no problems. That's the longevity part that I keep trying to get to people is sometimes like, again, I'm, I tend to jump around a little bit, but stick with me here. If I went uh, to a, a camp like last week, I was at BAM camp in Salt Lake. It's a wonderful group of triathletes. And mostly I work with sort of the Olympic development, the junior elites sit there. And these, these guys and gals are just amazing athletes and amazing people. But when you look at some of these things at their age and you're trying to sort of capture sort of that picture about what can become like what will be in the next five years to get ready for the olympics right that's like a big thing that they want performance wise but i keep also thinking about just that longevity aspect you want to be able to do this when you're super old like mm. they think i'm super old right <laughs> <laughs> but you know but i can do these things so it, it's really it is a prehab and a performance aspect that i really yeah. try to look at yeah, yeah. I, I i can't imagine the knowledge that you've gained from working with somebody especially from that kind of age of you know that 60 year old is just when the aging process for me would start to sort of kick in and what you've learned about what happens to the human body from that 60 year old to 81 year old i mean that's quite an experiment i think that's a you know, if you could have a dozen of them, that's like the most valuable knowledge I think we could all have in terms of how do we slow down the speed of aging? Yeah, yeah, no, you know? it's, it is, it's absolutely, it's one of those things too, where Greg, I tend to take a lot of notes, you know, I'm yeah. pretty meticulous with that. And uh, I have ADD. So one of the things that I think has really become an advantage of mine is I really have to categorize things and I have to keep things in a certain order. I have to have certain mm -hmm. rituals. And that's really helped me because over the last 21 years, not only less, but I do have a few other of mm -hmm. my aging athletes, we call them, right? <laughs> and, and they're in their golden years. And you, you're right. Absolutely. We have data that it's really interesting because this data drives what I'm actually doing with Olympic 
level athletes with gold medalists. Mm. I'm, I'm doing these things with the best of the best. And what I want people listening today to know is when I talk about the best of best, I'm talking to you, um, getting mm. back to less saying, Hey, you know, I know you, you should be working with a, you know, a world-class athlete right now, but you're working with me. I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I'm wasting your time, right? You're not because there are these principles that I've learned from less that I use with elites and vice versa. So everybody can learn from these experiences. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to just keep learning from you. And I have, like I said, already learned so much from you. I'm always, the problem is I meet people like you on any question. And then I'm like, Oh, I wish he was my neighbor. I wish he was the guy that I could just be every day just working with. Um, and on that, where, where are you calling me from? Yeah, I'm in Reno, Nevada. Okay. Uh, I originally grew up back east in Connecticut, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I came out west. I was actually in the army and then I did um, a program called the National Civilian Community Corps based out of San Diego. And then after that, I was actually... Uh, Flagstaff Hotshot. It's a division in wildland fire. And oh. I did that as a career after really the military and the NCCC uh, for five years. And yeah, I, actually, I had what I call tree trauma. I was a sawyer and I was cutting a tree down. It was really late. It was uh, the fire was spreading quickly. Fire can go a mile a minute sometimes and you're just moving wow. fast. Yeah. And I didn't have time to really assess the situation properly. This tree was about, uh, I'd say 200 feet tall and about halfway up, it was the fire was eating out its core. So when I cut the tree from the base, it actually rattled it enough where it came down. And I used the tree as a blocker, the base of the tree, but it still uh, fractured my spine. So L4, L5, S1. So selfishly, you know, Greg, I took that tree trauma. I was not able to really function properly. Walking was difficult. I didn't think I was going to run again. And um, I spent a lot of time in PT. And then I spent a lot of time really thinking about how this was really a blessing because I had learned so much. I wanted to share it. So initially it was more for me. And then other hot shots that I was working with, I was like, oh, I actually sort of have this uh, this, this knowledge now that I can share. So that's when I started to really, uh, start to put a lot more time and emphasis into what I'm doing now. Um, giving myself some classes at night to go to school, getting my LMT license, eventually working more with mentorships like athletes performance Institute. I did that for four years. And finally, I just said, you know, this is what I want to do full time, but it came from that initial drive of being able to help my fellow hotshots when I knew they were in pain and didn't have to be. And then realizing how much, of course, we haven't talked much about uh, my running background, but how much I absolutely love to run. And when that was taken away from me, I didn't care anymore about trying to run a sub uh, 10 minute, two mile or anything mm-hmm. like that. That wasn't, I, I could care less. I just wanted to be able to get out in the mountains and enjoy my run and not be in a world of pain. And I made that my goal. And for a long time, I didn't think I was going to be able to do that. So, uh, it's just a true honor to be able to serve these athletes either for, you know, what I kind of refer to as uh, prehab or for performance. And that's kind of what got me into all of this. I'm actually still stuck on the hot shot, which is an expression that I hadn't heard before, but basically that that's a term for a firefighter, a, a wilderness firefighter or. Yeah. 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 It's just a little bit more. We're just trained to essentially think about getting to fires that are really, you see a fire up in the mountains somewhere that's pretty remote yeah. and it might take more training and, and fitness to do that. So that's a uh, hot shot. It just tends to have that experience, but also you need the fitness. So it, it fit me well at the time. So you, you know? were working as a full-time hotshot in Flagstaff, Arizona. Was that always what you wanted to be, a firefighter in that kind of 
I mean, that seems pretty extreme. <laughs> well, you know, I wanted to be a, an Olympic champion. That's what I wanted to be, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And uh, I think that in part, I have to say that uh, I, I do think I did too much too soon in my own training, too young. I was uh, that 15-year-old kid who could break 15 minutes for a 5K, right? But mm. I was also doing a lot to get there. And, uh, you know, the other part of it, I would say, that I had to realize over time is that, um, you know, maybe when it comes to goals like this, Olympic dreams are wonderful, but I really let that just override everything else. That competitive greatness was everything to me as a kid. But what I learned is I developed the industriousness, the, the loyalty, the cooperation, the enthusiasm, the friendships, all these things that actually led to competitive greatness. And I will say, that for for me, I'm very proud of what I did competitively, but it was more about uh, the person I became along the way. So mm. I think that's what I'd li like to try to share as much as I can with the athletes I work with, because we all can get to that better versions of ourselves. But uh, I lost that that goal for a while about just becoming the best version of me. I, I was sort of obsessed of just becoming the best, period. So that mm. was my initial goal. And then when I did didn't get to that level to that point, um, then I said, okay, well, what's the next like hardest thing I can think to do that, that'll make me feel like, you know, I'm a badass, right? And that was hot shotting. So, uh, you know, I did that for a while, but I don't think it was really meant to be. And this was uh, certainly what I do now became my true love and passion. Take me back to that moment though, when you, you the fire's moving at, like you said, a mile per minute, you're trying to cut down a tree, I guess, to thin the forest out so the fire would hopefully stop. Right. And then the tree falls on you, right? I mean, does it trap you and it breaks your back? And, and was that, that, that must have been horrifying. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, um, it was one of those things where initially you're just glad you're alive, you know. And when I use the base of the tree, it's like a blocker. So not all of the tree hit me. It was just essentially the side of the tree, the branches, but that was enough force coming down on mm. me. And I, at the time, honestly, you have so much adrenaline running, you're just in survival mode. So I didn't realize the damage that was done. It was one of those situations too, where the back um, can essentially feel a whole lot worse as time goes on. And that right. certainly was the case with me to the point where as, as the weeks went on, I was getting worse, not better. And then I realized I was in, I was in some real pain and some real trouble and I was going to have a long road back. Mate, I just, uh, and how old were you then when that, that all happened? I was, uh, let's see, tw 20, I was 28 when that happened. Yeah. And by the time I was 30, I was running again. So, it, you know, it took me a couple years to really restore that and get back to that. But yeah, yeah. But, but couple, that was the transition into going, okay, I, you know, the whole getting back to health was when you realize I found out what I want to be doing for the rest of my right. life. Kind of, you know, it's like, hang on, I have some knowledge now. And so that's when you decided to sort of pull the trigger and, 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 and educate yourself more on the strength and conditioning side of things? Yes. Yeah. And I would say that Athletes Performance Institute was the best decision I could have made. It was at the time that was owned by Mark Verstegen. He had coached Mia Hamm, for example, her strength coach. And mm. I, do, I feel like that was uh, a great base knowledge to, to get. And so for me, working with guys like Nick Winkleman. Um, he's another just world renowned coach that, uh, I really still to this day look up to. And he was more of my mentor in that process. And then getting my LMT license, doing things like that allowed me a little bit more, I think, experience and time with athletes. I mean, one day Manny Patinkin was in there, um, and uh, uh, I'm sorry, Manny Pacquiao, rather Manny Patinkin is an actor, but Manny Pacquiao was in yeah, there, yeah, yeah. and and uh, you know he was training. I got to see him training at the time, and I'm thinking, wow, this is incredible, you know. And then I really was able to start to take that knowledge and use it with athletes that were in Reno, and I did end up having 
one athlete in particular. She was 15 at the time. Her name is Gabby Williams. She set the world record for the high jump for juniors. And she actually, in the last Olympics, um, she was, she medaled in basketball. So she played for France. She's a dual citizen. Yeah. And I mentioned that because I had no idea who was walking in my door that morning when she was uh, 15. And we're still really close to this day. I've worked with her for several years now. And in that last Olympics, I was lucky enough to have three athletes that did medal. But for her, that was the one that I was really, really proud of because we spent a good decade working together. And I think that um, it gets taken for granted how an athlete like her, she's obviously has such strong attributes for uh, pretty much any sport she wants to, but especially when it comes to uh, vertical, right? And Mm. especially when it comes to something like basketball. But we had to really uh, face facts that we had to work on strengthening her positions, especially because she had an ACL tear when she was just in high school, and that could have been the end of things. So essentially, I started to really dive deep and Uh, That led me to working with Nevada Physical Therapy and a guy named John Hodges that uh, owns that here in Reno. And I was, again, so lucky. I'm climbing the backs of giants here, Greg. And with, (laughs) right, I mean, I honestly would not be where I am or close to where I am if it wasn't for people like this that were willing to share information with me. And honestly, my next step after that was meeting Bobby. So again, to me, the biggest giant that I could have met was Bobby McGee. I I feel like he's the world's best running coach. And the first time that he called me, it happened to be that one of the athletes that I was serving here in Reno made the Olympic development team for triathlon. And Bobby called because he had been talking to him about what he was doing in preparation for the Olympic development team. And uh, he had really improved his thoracic rotation. So Bobby being the coach that he is wanted to know why or how that was done and he called he left me a message I thought it was a prank and I had another athlete that was actually uh, an Xterra national champion Matt Balzer and uh, this guy used to always tease me that I was like a mini Bobby McGee you know (laughs) I was I was that McGee says guy McGee says this McGee says that so uh, I thought it was Matt messing with me with a really bad accent but it was Bobby and uh, so So from that point on, um, I just, uh, I called Bobby, we talked and I worked with him whenever I could. I remember he said to me, just kind of like, almost like a little side comment. Well, this has been an amazing conversation after our first talk. And I I hope to be able to work with you in person one day. And uh, he was putting a camp on that weekend. I hopped in my truck. I drove to the camp. I was there the next day and we've been working together ever since. So it's the best decision I ever made. Yeah. Well, you know, as you know, I had Bobby McGee on the, on the show, maybe, maybe six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, longtime friend. And like you, I've, I've really enjoyed geeking out with Bobby McGee on everything running. Um, it's so wonderful that he's come into the triathlon community a bit, you know, working with a lot of, a lot of athletes at the elite level on their running. But I also, you know, he sung your praises, um, both in the podcast and, and out of, you know, out of when we weren't recording. And, uh, so you two working together is kind of bringing, you know, with your background in strength and mobility and, and then his background on, on run training and training programs. And you mentioned at the top of the show um, what you're working on and it's called run form. So what, what is run form? Take, take me through that. Yeah, no, thanks for, for asking. So I, I think that when it comes to run form, it's better to sort of start with, what we designed it for, right? So it consists of the three C's, we call it, right? We want to be connected when we run, mm-hmm. all right? We mm-hmm. want to have a good cadence, of course, and we want to be compact. Those three things are sort of where run form was born. Now, we look at the physiological um, 
concepts of training. And of course, we even obsess about them. I know I have, right? Um, and we want to get the most out of our our conditioning, right? So that um, that is that is what we were seeing a lot of times, Bobby and I, when we go to these camps and we'd see that these athletes were putting in so much hard work. And of course, they were oftentimes exceeding their capacities, right? Because they were adding more and more volume or more speed or, you know, these things were occurring where we were saying, but where are these three C's? They're, they're not all there. So what we started to realize is that these athletes were missing the other 50% of the equation, mm. right? And, and that's where run form was really born. So what I try to look at there is, um, for example, we see somebody with that bobblehead when they're running in a camp, right? Mm. And I kind of call it night at the Roxbury, you know, you know, that scene where, <laughs> right. If you can imagine that you see it more often than you realize until you go through sometimes at Bobby and I would see 30 or 40 people in a week. And then we are saying, wow, like 80% of these people we saw had an issue like this. And then we'd see, for example, their arm swing, um, looking at how, they're rotating or how they're trying to balance right so those arms are really meant to keep those rotational forms ba mm. the, those rotational forces balanced and we can run forward more efficiently right but we would see that peripherally they were moving but they weren't moving first from the center right so in other words they weren't stacked in their position. And so what we mean by that is say with your ribs, if you go to the top of your rib cage, right? And you're looking at the arrowhead pointing down. So those ribs should be pointing down slightly when you run, right? Mm -hmm. So that xiphoid process there, that should be pointing down. And oftentimes that, that pop is that that top is popped rather right so we would see that they're flaring their ribs out when they're running okay and that was another common thing that we would see so we could keep we could keep going but another common one was just with stride length and cadence right so when we're talking about the three c's in that cadence issue if you have somebody with their foot that's landing too far ahead of their center of mass which oftentimes we do see they're going to heel strike a lot of times you're going to see that heel strike now this is just an example this isn't everybody but with throwing that lower leg out in front of them that's the the issue, right? The, the knee needs to drive forward, but in order to get that center of mass working a little bit better so that you're not throwing your leg out in front of you. Now that takes some purposeful run form drills that takes a little bit more intervention. So what Bobby and I would do is look at how cognitive that was versus visceral. So what I'm trying to say there is like when you teach a run form drill, you're trying to maximize that running economy, but you see that a lot of times it's not visceral, right? It's, it's being intervened cognitively. And so it's isolated and that's not effective for that athlete, right? They're trying to change an incorrect outcome hmm. versus the source that can lead to the unintended consequences. So that doesn't work obviously. And we want to be able to uh, show an athlete a progression so that they're able to graduate these activities. And, and that's essentially what we're working towards with run form mm -hmm. and the, the product itself has four pillars here, Greg, and the, the main pillars, I'll just uh, tell you that we have banded dynamics that are going to really work to help to restore and optimize the running movement and, and that is done because with bands, we're not just contracting, but we're reacting in movements. And then we look a little bit more at dynamic mobility drills. And a lot of people, of course, do drills like this where they'll do it for a warm up, but they might just be kind of going through the motions, movements they learned when they were younger, even from high school. And we've had several athletes telling us, wow, like it's now that we're 
we're given some of these cues that you have for us that we're actually feeling the positive effect of this dynamic mobility drill. So restoring and optimizing that 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 running movement and and the propulsion potential now now that's that's setting the table for that and uh of course when it comes to your loaded mobility this is where we're looking at restoring and optimizing tissue for your joints and this is something that again we usually don't pay attention to something until it hurts right greg Mm -hmm. like this is something that we're oftentimes just oh my t-band hurts now so i'm going to try to roll it out well i could get into a whole conversation with you about why that doesn't work okay but we want to essentially get to the point where we can look at prevention and retention that addresses mobility so we have specific movements for that and uh you know of course like i said with the run form drills we actually do those specific drills in week four we start that in our program because now that you've worked on these other pillars we can start to get a little bit more visceral for that outcome we want so mm-hmm. i know that's a, a mouthful and i tend to do that but did, does that make sense the way yeah. i was so how, how do how do people um do they join you on camps or are they able to do all this remotely with all the drills and things i mean there's uh, you've you've touched on you know for me and this is where Bobby and I have geeked out on it in terms of run form over the years and and having that cadence and keeping that cadence up and not overstriding and some of those but first question I have is yeah if people want to work with you guys what's the best way for them to do it yeah so I think that when it comes to working with us you can essentially hire us to look at your gate. Um, Bobby does a full gate analysis. And then I look at the movements that really work best mm. for you based off of that analysis. And that's kind of the one-two punch that we've been doing for years in camp. So when we do have a camp, you can sign up for that camp. Uh, Bobby will put camps like that on his website. Um, of course, a lot of times coaches like uh, Coach Wes over at uh, BAM, they hired me for the week last week, right? So th- that's how we do camps a yeah. lot of times. But individually somebody can uh contact us individually and we can work out um a uh, a plan with that person but i will say that with run form we wanted a product where people could even start with that 12 weeks for the program and we focused on the movements that really checked off all the boxes. So what I'm saying there, Greg, is that we started off with a hundred movements per pillar, right? And we say, okay, these are all great movements, but then we whittled it down to about 10 movements per, per pillar, knowing that each of these movements they really met two main requirements is that they of course were effective and they were easier to learn. So if these movements checked off those boxes, those are the ones that we, that we picked, those are the ones that we settled with. And so that's already in our program and you can go to, uh, Pendola Project, that's our website, and on there is Run Form. Mm. And we have that program. And I'll you can maybe put this into the notes, Greg, but if people go to Greg Bennett in capital letters, Greg Bennett 10, then they can get 10% off. So we did give a code for that for the listeners here today. Um, And that is where I would honestly start though. So from there, after 12 weeks of doing the program, then if somebody says, geez, I'd really love to get even more specific. I want that 3% now, you know, Mm. then I think that's the time to call us and have us work individually with you. Um, I will say that both Bobby and I, our schedules are busy enough where we can't take everybody and that was why we really wanted to use a program like run for yeah and and share your knowledge with the world and i think that's fantastic is when you've got all the experience between the two of you um and the knowledge to find ways to be able to get it out to the world i think is absolutely fantastic Just a quick mini break to remind you to go check out any question. That's any question, one word on iOS or Android. And you can also go check out anyquestion.com forward slash Pendola project. You can ask Matt follow-up questions to this conversation. And you can also listen to answers that he already has there. 
I'm just curious, you know, over the sort of 20 plus years that you've been working in the strength and conditioning field, when it comes to your learnings, what, what have been some of the real highs of this last 20, 25 years of either working with athletes or working on yourself that you're like, it blew you away uh, a moment in time? I think my biggest high just happened. Mm. My daughter, Mia, she's 10 years old. She just loves <laughs> to run, right? It's in her blood. And I think that uh, if you know me, then you think, okay, he's he's probably pushing that on her. He's He, he wants her to run, so she's running and she's good at it and she has the genetics and et cetera. But no, honestly... She just kept asking me, you know, daddy, can we go for a run? Can we go for a run? And yeah. And, uh, she's, you know, being 10 years old, I now really have the knowledge as a coach to be able to say, okay, we're going to focus on VO2 kinetics. We're going to focus on what is going to be fun for a 10 year old, what will still allow her to make progress. But really I took this video of her doing, um, her time trial. And at the beginning of the summer, we did a time trial at the end of summer, we did a time trial. So six weeks apart and, um, the video, she looks at me and I said, okay, you ready? And she said, yeah, daddy, fun, fast and free. I'm ready. And she smiles. (laughs) (laughs) And the fact that I have that experience, with her and knowing that I'm actually, I sound like I'm just uh, this, this uh, obsessed about run form right now, but she did run form program. I of course made it work for a 10 year old, but she did the program and I was just so proud of what she accomplished more about how she felt about herself. And of course that spirit that, you know, just that Mm. ability to be able to really love something and continue to love it. I, wish I had a little bit more of that when I was younger. I wish I had held on to that more when I was younger. So I was very proud of that moment. The fact that she finished her summer training and she loves it even more than the day we started doing it. So, uh, she ran a very fast time. Um, I'm biased, but I didn't tell her what that time was. And (laughs) one of the other coaches that heard the time she ran said, okay, that's, that's freaking fast. What are you going to do with her next? And I said, we're going to play basketball. Nice. Right? So, what a great answer. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so that was, that was my, my highest moment, I think. And then yeah, I, I will cool. say my lowest moment was just realizing how far all this has come because when I decided to go from hot shotting to starting a facility and, and really wanting to do things the right way. Um, I was sleeping under my stairs in a little, uh, small, basically garage sized gym that I started renting out and living there at the same time. I mean, that was the first two years of my career and (laughs) going from that to eventually I had two facilities and 14 trainers. And then going from that to working with athletes that were able to, uh, to cross that, that finish line at, you know, and, and, and win an Olympic gold medal. I mean, I can't tell you the different experiences along the way, uh, what that has meant to me, but it makes it all worth it. That initial time period was, was pretty tough and it was a pretty low Valley. And I realize now that getting yourself from the bottom and, you know, doing the work to get to that top of that peak or what you see as the peak. It's so much work that I realized at one point looking around that, oh, shoot, you know, I'm here and I'm one of the the very lucky ones in my career to be able to get here. And, and I really should take the time to enjoy it. Right. So, yeah. 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 I think that's, you know, when, when you look at any question and the strength trainers we have on there and we, we had a, a call with all the strength experts the other day, um, or a couple of weeks ago now. And, and I looked at this zoom call with all the world's greatest strength trainers from endurance sports like yourself to the NBA and WNPA and, and, and the hockey and the soccer and all, all the strength coaches around the world. And, and I think it, and what I noticed on there was almost everybody on that call were a bit like you. There was a moment of self-reflection of going, 
yes, there's a little bit of imposter syndrome because it was such an amazing group, but it was also everybody going, wow, I have learned some stuff and I am able to help people. And this is kind of awesome, you know? And so you sort of self-reflecting there on what was your sort of lowest times that you had and what did you learn? And, and then to see how far you've come and how far you've grown is it, just really cool. And, uh, you know, all credit to you. If, if you had known as much work as it would be, would you still want to do the journey? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, uh, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I think, I think that I probably would, but man, uh, it's, it, it is one of those things that I'll say during my, one of my lowest points, uh, I remember one of my best friends, he said to me, Matt, what else would you be doing? Right. And this is when, again, I'm, I'm just living under my stairs and I was working nonstop, but had so much overhead and I just felt like I was drowning. And, uh, I thought about that for a long while. Like I could go, I could go back to what I was doing before, or I have other opportunities. So, you know what? I choose to do this and that's all I'm going to think about is how I can do this better. And Mm. that guy, Les Nesbitt that I told you about before, He's he was a very successful in construction and he came from nothing. And I mean, this this guy's been on his own since he was about 16 years old. And he said to me, you know, Matt, I believe that if you love taking out the trash, then take out the trash Take out the trash every day and do it to the best of your ability. And one day you're going to own your own dump. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Oh, I like that. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I mean, really, it's a simple concept. So I just decided I'm not, I'm going to stop complaining. I'm going to look at that open mindset, you know, and I'm just going to try to keep moving myself forward. And, and one day I, I realized that, yeah, it worked, but uh, Mm. would I do it again, man? uh, I guess I would, but uh, it's, it was a tough journey. And I love the honesty on that. Matt, I, I, most people, oh, 100%. You're not, no. It was like, no. And it's funny. I, I, I kind of live by a saying, it's like, just keep showing up and do it with intent, right? So just right. keep showing up, doing what you do every single day and do it intentionally because there is a difference between just showing up and ticking boxes. But if you can do it with intent, just keep showing up and do it with intent and taking out the trash, doing it well. So, you know, whatever that means in terms of taking out the trash, but doing it well, doing it with intent, and yet all of a sudden you'll own your own dump. I think it's a great analogy. <laughs> I really like that. Let, let's shift gear a little bit. I want to talk about um, some of the questions that you've answered on any question. Um, and like I said at the top of the show, it's just been absolutely fantastic. One, one question being that, you know, a lot of listeners, uh, you know, endurance athletes themselves, you know, especially if you're a triathlete, um, when you're swimming and you're biking and you're running and you've only got 15, 10 to 15 hours a week to actually incorporate it. And it's kind of strength training can be a bit of an afterthought. You know, it's kind of like, oh, if I have time, I'll add it in. But, you know, why is strength training important for endur- endurance athletes? And, and how can somebody prioritize it within the training program and the limited time that they have? Yeah. So this is, I think, a really misunderstood area, strength training in general, right? Um, But especially for endurance athletes. So I love the question. And I would go back to oftentimes when we look at athletes, when we're doing a gait analysis, we might see a baby giraffe, right? It's like somebody's really had a, a growth spurt and they don't know where their limbs are going yet. And they're, they really need some good coordination and control, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or we might see King Kong out there, you know, just, I mean, for lack of, you know, imagine somebody with a stick up their butt and they're running with a lot of muscle, you know, and yeah. you kind of look at those differences in those type of athletes. And you realize that, that also means that the answers for them are going to be individualized and specialized. And um, because I think there's so much influence out there when it comes to areas like strength training and what the answers should be, I hear anything from, 
you should only do high reps because you're an endurance athlete uh, to you should do only low reps because you're an endurance athlete. <laughs> I know. I've been told both. I'm so confused right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, and in part, I think that we have to really look at the athlete, but I'll tell you somebody like Gwen Jorgensen, she does really well with an approach where we focus more on that coordination and that control and we get that accumulation. And -hmm. because of that, we get more confident in the movement patterns. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we might be looking at something that could be a really good movement. Okay. But if that movement is is done with defeated mechanics, then we're kind of defeating the point, aren't we? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So we want to try to take a look at, it's not how much we're lifting, but it's how we're lifting. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, but we also want to really take in mind of the demands of the endurance athlete. So one thing, that I've always, always loved endurance. I'm, it's my first love. So one thing I think that made it a little bit maybe different for me as a strength coach is I was always the smallest guy in the room when I went to a seminar, right? Or when I, when I went to athletes performance, um, I was the one guy that didn't specialize in football or, mm, you know, yeah. I, so I realized that a lot of this information that was being given out, it worked really well for these explosive athletes, but it didn't work out so well for somebody who was training 20 hours a week outside of the gym. Um, And that training was done with a lot of energy system fatigue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. And you know that when you're doing this kind of work. So I just came to realize that sure in the preseason, or in the off season, doing lower reps and doing heavier weight, that works and it can work really well as long as that person has had the time and training. They have had the gym age to be able to do these movements with the proper focused intentional techniques, right? Mm-hmm. I call that fit, by the way, focused intentional techniques, right? I like, I like that. Really, when it comes to the athlete we're talking about, so going back to Gwen is she didn't, her gym age when she met me was pretty much zero, Mm. right? So it does, you know, of course she's an elite athlete and she's world-class. That doesn't mean she's world-class in the gym yet. Right. So over time we were the, we're able to build up that coordination, confidence and control, but also by doing repetitions where she could accumulate that. So in that case, she of course got stronger, I mean, those, those repetitions might be more in her case, but you're getting stronger. It's not like doing higher reps is going to, uh, is not going to get you as strong. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so for a quick example of that, we might have to look at doing say a push up right in our plan. And for some people doing one to three push-ups, that might be all the push-ups they can do with good form, right? right. With good with good posture, with good technique. Mm-hmm. And for another person, they might be able to do 30 push-ups in a minute with really good form. They're super explosive. Well, obviously, the person who's doing 30 push-ups in a minute, they don't need to do more accumulation. They don't need to do 40 push-ups now and then 50. Like, there's a tipping point where they're going to be better off now adding more more load, right? But that person doing, say, one, two, three reps, well, I'm going to work on the eccentrics, right? I'm going to work on really going good control, slow on the way down, really uh, even pausing and doing what we call yielding isometric to where they're just stopping even within segments of the movement and showing me they can control that movement as they progress. And from there, I might say, okay, say you can do three push-ups with good form, but that's it. Then you're toast. So I like to have one or two reps in reserve, Greg. So I'll say, okay, I want you to initially give me one really good eccentric push-up with some pauses. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to get up. We're going to do some other movement 
we're going to get back down maybe a few minutes later and we're going to do another push-up. And we're going to do that for maybe a total of uh, 10 reps, right? So we might do one by 10 reps throughout an hour initially. Right Now, now when eventually when they test and retest and they uh, do the relative strength index, I call it, one of the testing we do is going to be a hand-release push-up. And say now they're able to do 10 in a row. Obviously, they're starting to move that needle. So um, that's an example about how a really good movement can be done with higher reps or lower reps, but it really depends on where the athlete is at and what they can really benefit from the most. Mm. Uh, okay, so following on that and being, you know, I like the fit, the, f- the focused intentional technique that you talk about and being that you're in the endurance world, being that technique is so important, is it better to be doing your kind of your strength work before going out and doing your longer miles um, because you might be a little bit fresher and you can focus on the technique? That's a great question. So if I had to pick, um, I'll look at the quality days and say that your quality day is going to be on a Monday. Mm. Do that quality run first, okay? Then I prefer even eight hours of recovery if possible, right? But a lot of times that's really not the case. So we're going to try to get at least three or four hours, get something to eat, recover a little bit, then do your strength training. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because we want, the run is still the priority there and we want to be able to recover as much as possible. So if I'm looking at the quality runs being say on a Monday and a Thursday, then I'm going to have those quality runs first and then I'm going to strength train later in the day on Monday and Thursday. And I want to try to maximize recovery as much in between between those days, or at least in a scenario like that, that, that would, is what I would do. Mm. Does that make sense? No, no, it makes perfect sense. And, um, and, and you're right. I mean, and I don't mean to bring it back but to me, but I, I think about when I was really training and racing hard, that's exactly how we did it. It was like the run was the priority or whatever the work was that needed to be done. But then combining that with the strength work, maybe later in the day or whatever it was when the body maybe had a chance to somewhat recover. I don't think we were, in fact, I think I was probably overtrained most of my career, to be honest, but it was at least try and get to the point where you had some energy to be able to do it. With the banded dynamics that we put into our program, we we don't do a ton of work there. We do enough that we're connecting the dots, if you will, mm-hmm. right? So that we can really start to get more visceral with our movement patterns. So that's a case where we actually like to do the banded dynamics before the run. And we actually can now start to connect those dots a little bit better. So if I go a little further into your conversation about strength. It's been shown that the glutes are usually not the problem. Like people have strong enough glutes, but maybe their quads are really tight Mm -hmm. and maybe Mm -hmm. they're not able to connect with their glutes. Right. And so now here's, um, an issue that we tend to run into a lot, but if we can just set the table up for the run with some, some good, um, protocol, then I think that's the case where doing just a little bit of work, not to exhaustion, but just a little bit of work beforehand goes a long ways, sets the table up. Now you're connecting in your run. Now you're really Mm. feeling the benefits and getting more of the benefits out of your run. So that would be different to me than talking about traditional strength training where you're really actually going closer to your max effort when it comes to strength. How much of what you do is kind of releasing the fascia, but also then incorporating the fascia into into strength movements? I have my LMT license and I did that initially, honestly, because I wanted to be able to... What are those be, initials? Sorry, what do those initials mean just for listeners? Oh, okay. So I uh, do, I can do massage or manual therapy on athletes. And so that's, I got my license to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. So now I don't do um, traditional massage. That's never why that's not for me, why I got, I got my license. I was 
really wanting to be able to help athletes at the time to be able to say trigger point an area on their body that um, could help them get through a session or help them get through a, a race even. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I call it Mr. Miyagi, you know, like in Karate Kid when he claps <laughs> his hands together and rubs them really fast and then just hits that spi- that really specific spot and boom, there We're you go. We're aging right? ourselves, so, mate. We're aging ourselves. <laughs> what, what a great movie. Go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, I really believed that that was going to be a big answer for me in serving my athletes. And what I realized over time is there's something called diffuse noxious inhibitory control mechanism. Now, um, the way I would simplify this is that if you were to foam roll and say people foam roll their T-band, that's a classic mm-hmm, one, right? Mm-hmm. And I used to coach that 20 years ago now, right? I Or whenever they came out, uh, maybe that was about 20 years ago now, I think, talk about aging ourselves. And all I knew that people did feel better when they got done rolling out their T-band, right? Like, oh, man, my knee feels better. Okay, fantastic. That worked. Problem is the next morning they had to do it again. And mm-hmm. the next day they had to do it again. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I started digging further into that. And again, I have to give uh, John Hodges at Nevada Physical Therapy a lot of credit for what he's himself has researched and what he's discovered and then turned around and taught me. But because of this whole concept about releasing a T-band, let's just take that, for example, a T-band by itself can actually suspend a, a, a small car. Wow. Yeah, I mean, the, think the, about the that. That's insane. That's, that's insane. Yeah. So, yeah. Take that visual and realize that there's, we're really not releasing anything. Okay. So I prefer to call it self-myofascial response, but I'm just, you know, just changing words a little bit, right? Because I think that there is a response mechanism that we get from that. And I think that that can provide us an ability to now load our patterns and not be in pain. Because of that, I started to get a little bit more into what we could do in protocol that wasn't so much about being in pain. Because when you roll your T-band, it can be pretty painful or <laughs> when you get, you know, scraping done, stuff like that, right? And what I f- prefer to focus on is can we get into positions that are really going to change what's going on, like what is the real origin of the problem here? So for example, if I have somebody with a T-band issue, it generally is because they're, well, for example, they might be running too narrow, right? Mm -hmm. And that's causing stress on on the T-band. So in turn, if I'm looking at strengthening the side butt, we'll call it, right? And I'm doing that while distracting the TFL, There's a, that's a movement that I actually put into any questions. So if you guys are trying to visualize that one, just look it up in any questions. Um, then I can start to change the conversation to this is now addressing the real origin of the problem. And I'm going to be able to do this tomorrow and the next day and next day. My tissues aren't getting bruised up. I'm not beating myself up. But more importantly, I'm giving myself a protocol that over time is cumulative and will take the need, uh, take away the need for me to roll out at all. So Mm -hmm. that's what I want to be able to do because the nervous system really kind of needs to be fed every 12 to 24 hours. So what I'll say to clients a lot of times is that this protocol I'm giving you, I want it done every day for at least the first 20 days. And when you miss one day, you miss a lot. We really try not to miss 24 hours. So I have to give them movements that they're going to be able to repeat daily. So we, we assign 10 minutes a day of protocol And in run form, we've tried to make sure that we do the same here, by the way. We know that athletes have time constraints and they want to get out there and run. So we would say that, hey, even if you had to take 10 minutes out of your run, that run's going to be more effective now. We're going to give you 10 minutes of pillars to do. And over a three-month period, you're not even going to notice those 10 minutes were gone a day, but you are going to notice the difference in your running gait. So this is something that I feel pretty passionate about because if somebody really wants to work on self-myofascial 
I'm going to call it response. Absolutely do it. If it feels better, do it, get that lubrication going. Okay. I, I mm-hmm. am a massage therapist still, and I do believe that it can be, um, really important, even just mentally as can be stretching or, or yoga, things that are cathodic, right? Things that really just make you feel better. I'm not going to take that away from you. No way. But what I am going to say is that you're now setting the table up. You need to do something that is going to give you that lasting result so that mm-hmm. you don't have to keep trying to do this every day. Does um, that answer that. the question? <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> funny. I'm thinking about, uh, you know, both Laura and I, my wife, Laura, who's also a professional triathlete. And, um, you know, every morning we had the trigger point therapy, the, the trigger point therapy tools, you know, the quad roller and the calf rollers. And every single morning and some afternoons we'd be rolling before every every workout and yeah to have all of this information would be would be fantastic to go back and rewind the clock for how much time I spent in agony actually got to the point it wasn't that agonizing because I just did it so often um, that the body almost switches off the the nerves you know it's like okay he's going to keep doing it let's not let's not make him hurt anymore right but but I, I get it well mate this has been fantastic to just touch on a few areas. And I I really do encourage everybody to go listen to your answers on any question because we've discussed a few topics here, but the amount of content, the amount of knowledge you have, your willingness to share it is just incredible. And I I truly appreciate it. Who who are some of the uh, professional athletes and Olympians you're working with at the moment before I let you go? Yeah, no, thanks. Um, Of course, I'm still working with uh, Gwen is fantastic. Uh, She is pregnant, as you Mm -hmm. probably know, if you follow her. And so, um, you know, right now, the majority of the work I would talk about would be with um, Ben Canute. And I will say better people make better athletes. And uh, really, it's, it's such a pleasure to to work with athletes of this caliber. Right now, um, I'm putting a lot of focus into Ben's training with him. And I would say that um, something worth maybe mentioning on the podcast here is that mm. I've learned about how we really need to make Ben's workout centered around minimal effective dosing. So Mm -hmm. we started off the first year where we really focused a lot on these concepts I've talked about already. And he's, he's really restored a lot of good mobility, a lot of good range, and he's quite strong. Um, so his relative strength is really, we can always be stronger, but I'm very, very happy with where he's at there. And we've seen the result of that in his swim, bike and run. But now it's looking at with the volume that he's doing, getting ready for the world championships, we are strength training a couple times a week and the sessions last about 20 minutes. And I don't think that gets talked about enough, especially mm. with endurance athletes. And especially when you're talking about doing a 70.3 or a full Ironman that really we need to look at the amount of uh, energy that we are required to do these sports and the amount of time constraints that we really do have. So strength training, I think oftentimes just gets thrown out at a certain point because you just don't have the energy for it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was, I did a 50 K mountain race, um, not too long ago. And one of my crazy, uh, ultra running buddies convinced me to do this with him. And that's like the, that's, that's, uh, 50 K just barely gets you into the ultra world. Right. Who needs enemies, right? Who needs enemies when you got buddies that want you to go to a 50 K mountain race with them? Oh man. (laughs) I I tell you what, um, I am glad I did it. It was, uh, it's called the way too cool 50 K. It was, it was a quite challenging race. And, but, um, what I really, uh, found during that process myself was, was that, of course, I didn't have the energy to to keep up with my strength training the way I normally do when I'm, say, trying to break a five-minute mile as a personal goal, right? right that's right. that's much easier for me to keep my deadlift, uh, you know, going at twice my body weight, et cetera. But what I realized that if I timed it out right and I just gave myself 20-minute sessions and I really went to the best bang for my buck and I hit the big boulders that I needed to be able to maintain those strength gains as much as possible, 
I was able to get the best of both worlds. And I was, um, I, I was putting more and more of that into programming, like with somebody like Ben, and it's been very successful. So just something that for people to realize is don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? Like really try to think about how you're going to be able to still keep up with these things, but twice a week will really go a long way. But I just don't think it gets talked about enough that you can do 20 minutes and be very effective with that Mm. going to zero minutes. And after a few weeks, you really start to lose a lot of those strength gains that really help so much with your overall structural integrity. And when we can't put as much force into the ground, for example, be, uh, because we haven't been working on that, we start to go, uh, backwards in a sense. And even all the great work that we're doing again with the conditioning, that's, uh, that's, that's 50%. We still want to be able to hit the other 50%. So just keep that in mind, uh, 10 to 20 minutes a day, um, uh, excuse me, 10 minutes a day with protocol or what we would say run form here. And it's, it's can, it can really do a lot over a 12 week period of time. And eventually I think you get to know yourself so well, you can figure out exactly what you need to do maybe twice a week so that you can maintain what you've gained. Mate, I think that's a really good place to to wrap this up. But I think, uh, again, I appreciate all your knowledge and sharing your wisdom. Uh, I've truly been somebody that's been utilizing a lot of what you've been talking about on any question. I've just picked up so much more on this conversation again. So I really appreciate you, mate. And and I I thank you for coming on and and joining me on the show. Thank you so much, Greg. And um, yeah, really, it means a lot to me. Uh, Last thing I'll say about any question, but I did want to say this. You mentioned this about the coaches on any question. And I, I, I really believe that any question is the answer out there for people that want to get educated more than influenced. And I love that you talked about that in one of our meetings. Mm. I was thinking to myself, first of all, how many programs have meetings as often as you guys do with your coaches? And then you were telling this great story about how one of your educators was saying, Hey, don't call me an influencer. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. And it's true. The answers that are on any questions, uh, they are so educational and it's, I, I love to, to review the, the answers other coaches are given. And I'm thinking, Oh man, that's a good point. I, you know, I didn't think about that. So it's such a great resource and I really am quite honored to be a part of it. So thanks. uh, Thanks for that, Greg. And um, if, if you wouldn't mind, I'll just say um, if people want to check out our program, Mm -hmm. then that's going to be on, just go to uh, Pandola project and uh, then you can see our run form program there. And again, Greg Bennett in capital letters, 10, Greg Bennett, 10, they can get 10% off. So uh, hopefully people can try it out. And I'd love to, I'd love to find out uh, if, if you're benefiting from it too. So we're going to have to get you a program. Perfect. Let's do it. Let's sign me up. I'll use my own code. That sounds good. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Awesome, Awesome, Matt. Well, mate, again, thank you so much. Um, And thank you everybody for listening uh, to to Matt. And you can find Matt on any question. You go to anyquestion.com, Pandola Project, uh, forward slash Pandola Project, I should say. So that's anyquestion.com com forward slash Pandola project and you can find Matt on there and you can ask him questions and listen to a whole bunch of his answers. I think you're almost over a hundred answers on the platform now. Thank you everybody for listening. You can find the show notes and timestamps and everything else at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks a lot for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.